and thank you for joining us for In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. The motto of our family of congregations is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you very much, Rachel, and thank you for listening in on another edition of In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, which drops every Friday. We're into our second year now having these conversations around the table where we listen in to folks who are helping the EPC live into its mission, and that mission is to help fulfill the Great Commission as Presbyterian Reformed Evangelical and missional churches. And that missional church piece is something we're going to dig down a little bit in our conversation today because we have with us Andy Kesters. Andy is um, a missional director as well as a church health coordinator for one of the presbyteries in the EPC. And we're going to hear a little bit more about his story. So Andy, welcome to In All Things. Thanks, Dean. It's good to be here. It is great to have you here and look forward to uh, digging in a little bit about what a missional director is and how God has led you to that. Andy is part of a a presbytery that used to be, well, it's now three presbyteries, used to be one presbytery, but, and don't dare say to them that they have divided because they haven't, (laughs) they've multiplied from one into three, but really has some of the best DNA of who we are as the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Just the fact that they even have somebody designated as a missional director will cue you into that. But we'll dig down more on that and what that means in just a few minutes. This particular episode of In All Things, whether you are taking a walk with the dog or sitting on the back porch with a cup of coffee, is a is a conversation brought to you by one of the gospel priorities in the EPC called our Church Health Initiative, or sometimes we call it transformation. Only a transformed leader can transform an organization. And so we encourage all of our pastors themselves to take the steps toward transformation, as well as our congregations to consider what does it mean to be transformed so that they can lead transformation for those in their Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the ends of the earth. There are a lot of things that our church health coordinators are able to do in their various presbyteries by way of coming alongside of churches to help them with transformation. And one is an assessment tool. Now, one of the, well, there's several assessment tools, but one of them is actually called the Great Commission Matrix, which is a way of kind of evaluating your missional effectiveness as a congregation. Uh, So, for example, if you haven't seen any adult baptisms in your congregation for a while. That might be one of those things that causes you to question, do we have an evangelistic culture in this church? It's great to invite people to church, but more than just transfer growth, people moving from one church to another, are there people actually hearing the gospel for the first time and coming to Christ? And is your church able to help do that? The Great Commission Matrix is one of those tools to help evaluate the effectiveness of the local congregation in doing that, and people like your church health coordinators and the coaches that they are training to come alongside of our churches can help them to do just that. If you're interested in learning more about church health or transformation in the local church, please go to our website at epc.org, about us, and go to the Presbyteries page. Go to your particular presbytery and look for your church health coordinator there and reach out and contact them directly. 
All right, well, let's dig right into our conversation today. Andy, help the audience that's listening in get to know you a little bit better. Uh, Where did you grow up? How did you come to faith in Christ? And a little bit of your sense of the journey of your vocational call. Well, I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, and grew up there through most of my life up until my late 20s. Does that mean you're a Skyline Chili guy? I am a Skyline Chili guy. Oh, my yes, goodness for gracious. sure. All right, all right. And, and even living in North Carolina now, any Kroger affiliate <laughs> carries Skyline Chili. So okay. we can still get it here in North Carolina, which is good. All right, there you go. Uh, yeah. But my parents got divorced when I was about two and a half. And so I kind of grew up with, you know, a divided life at some level. Dad on the weekends, uh, mom during the week. And kind of had a, a a divided spiritual life at some level too. My dad's family's all Catholic, so I'd go to mass with him and his family, or I'd go with my mom to a United Methodist church. Grew up in that church a little bit as well, and then uh, my mom uh, got divorced for a second time when I was in third grade, and she moved out to Lake Tahoe, Nevada. And so I went with her and that was a really hard thing for me, leaving all my family in Cincinnati, leaving all my friends that I had. And so that was a, that was a sad, dark time for me at some level, just as a little guy, you know, and just really, I remember going to sleep, crying a lot of nights uh, after moving out there. And so even, I mean, this is the way the Lord is, right? I mean, even though that was a a dark, hard thing, it was uh, a big deal that I got to go to a new church out there that actually the Lord made the gospel clear to me in that Mm -hmm. church. My mom started going out there and we ended up at a church called Tahoe Community Baptist Church, okay? And there was some sweet people in that church and they just made the gospel really clear to me. And so that's how I came to faith, uh, was with a group of people, a group of believers that just showed a real genuine faith in the Lord and a love for me, pouring into me. So even though I didn't really get a discipleship in my home and a, and a clear pointing of Christ to me by my parents, there was these people that the Lord brought into my life, which I'm very thankful for. And no one would ever, you know, I mean, if you could look ahead, you would never say, oh, i I would hope that this young child would experience two divorces in the first early years of their life and move away from everybody they know and love. I mean, that all of that sounds like it's just a formula for disaster. And, yeah. and yet the sovereign Lord, who, who's over all things, uses that for good because he loves you and has called you according to his purposes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and so those sweet people that the Lord brought in, help me to see the gospel and help me to have an appreciation for God's people. I remember it was in that church that I really started to love hearing God's word preached. Mm. So just little things like that, that the Lord was beginning to build into me. When I was in middle school, I moved back to Cincinnati and began living with my dad and my grandparents. And I'd still go out to visit my mom on school breaks and still interacted with the people in the church, that was like my church family, even though now I was back in Cincinnati, but I didn't feel connected to any particular body there. And, and I, you know, didn't feel close to the Catholic mass or the Catholic church and all those things. 
So I always look forward to going back out there then to be with, you know, that youth group I started to become close with and all those things. So the Lord just continued to draw me to himself through that church. Then I started dating my wife in high school, my wife now, and started going to church with her. And that became, I mean, as it commonly is, right, when we start dating a girl and going to her church, that became the church that really started to be fairly formative for me. And this would be probably familiar to you at some level. Her family went to College Hill Presbyterian. Sure. Was Jerry Kirk there at the time? He was not. Pat Hartsock was the pastor there by that time. So right when I got there with her family, uh, the church was actually in the throes of, you know, do we stay in the PCUSA? Right. So about six months after I started going there with her family, 800 people left because the the church decided to stay in the PCUSA. Mm. 600 of those 800 people, and my wife's family was a part of that group, started a new church that eventually became an EPC church after a few years. Mm. So I've been in the EPC since about 90, I guess, 99, 2000, somewhere in there. Right. And I started volunteering in the the youth ministry there at that church and really starting to, in the same way that the Lord provided people for me to point me to Christ, I started to to have that same desire. Like I wanted to be that for other people. So even when I was a senior in high school and, and volunteering with the junior high ministry, I just had that in me that I was excited to do that. Volunteered in the youth ministry there for several years and then eventually became the youth director. My wife and I, we got married in 2000 and came into ministry kind of together. We were volunteering in the youth ministry together. And then in 2003, I became the youth director at that church. And since it's, uh, well, now it's called Christ Covenant Church, EPC Church there in Cincinnati. At the time, it was Evangelical Community Church. So then getting to to serve in that way, and boy, the Lord just increased tremendously my love for His Word and studying it, and then being excited to pass on what I was studying. That was a huge thing that He was welling up in me. It was around that time that I really started to get a sense of seeing the difference between certain kids in the youth ministry between, you know, the ones that seem to own their faith and stay connected to the body of Christ. That was a a big thing I started to notice. And I just started to develop this real love for wanting to equip and encourage the parents to be the primary disciples of their children Mm. and also trying to connect the youth to the body more broadly. So that kind of became this theme that was going on in my heart and mind a lot of like, I want to connect them to their parents. I want the parents, I want to see them to be the primary disciplers. And I want to see these young people, you know, love their church family, all ages. You know what I mean? I want want to equip the body to pour into the next generation so that these young people can see that they belong here and that there's people that love them and want to pour into them and point them to Christ. This sounds like this is where the seed was planted for what you're doing now with Families Alive. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That was the beginning of that. And I have have had a couple other ministry roles. I I ended up coming out of seminary and then getting to go to Covenant Church in West Lafayette, Indiana, which I know you're friends with David Henderson. And 
enjoyed serving there for about five years in a associate pastor role. I was a pastor to students and their families. Okay. That was a, another place where the Lord was continuing to refine that that call in me. And David has a connection to the church in Cincy as well. He was a College Hill guy. Yes, exactly. Uh, one of the things I say about College Hill, I call it like the the Kevin Bacon of the uh, Presbyterian <laughs> world. You know, there's like three degrees of separation for everybody right. somehow connecting back to College Hill. Our executive director of World Outreach, Gabriel DeGee, has got a kind of a connection there as well. Yeah, that's right. He's a Cincinnati guy. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if he and I have ever talked about that in particular, but yeah. So the Lord leading me into these different places to keep refining this next generation discipleship theme has been really big. And so the Lord has brought us to Families Alive at this point. My role is a pastor to churches and families. Mm-hmm. And so I love to come alongside families and churches uh, to help them in catching a, a biblical vision for what it means to point the next generation to, to him. Well, let's dig down on that a little bit, Andy, because, and I think there's a real nexus here, right? You're the church health coordinator for the Presbytery of New River, which is one of our new presbyteries yep. that came out of the Mid-Atlantic. You're yeah. a missional director part-time for that same presbytery. But mm-hmm. this next generation discipleship culture that you seek to build into churches, could you talk a little bit about how a next generation discipleship culture is essential to a church's missional health? Yeah, that's how I see all these these roles that the Lord has called me to, just tremendous overlap. My wife and I praise God for it all because it's a sweet spot. So next-gen discipleship, I mean, it's just so clear in God's Word. You know, Deuteronomy 6, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall teach these things diligently to your children. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, there's this everyday kind of thing that we're just supposed to be pointing our kids to the Lord. That's like the key verse for next generation discipleship, isn't it? Yes, because it really does start with, you know, yes, we know that there's not perfect setups all over the place, right? But God's plan A is that parents would be pointing their kids to the Lord and being the primary disciplers. And then you have passages like Psalm 78 that talks about, we will not hide the wondrous deeds and mighty works of the Lord from the coming generation, but we will tell them. And that that's speaking to all of God's people. That's not speaking specifically to parents, although they would be in that. But there's a sense of like, God's people need to be all hands on deck on this. Yeah. And then you have Titus 2, which is, you know, have the older men teach the younger men, have the older women teach the younger women. So there's this picture of there needs to be a broad gospel witness of God's people in the life of our young people. So me just kind of noticing those things in my own experiences, but also all you have to do is just read the research of the past 20 to 30 years. And you see that those things are are the indicators that point to a young person being active in their own faith through adolescence and through college and staying connected to a body of Christ. Right. Are there exceptions? Yes. But in general, those trajectories are very clear. And so the research really just points to what God's Word's been saying all along for us. Are you familiar with uh, Dan Dupuy's book, It's Not Too Late? Yes, yes. Yeah, not another college old guy. <laughs> another, 
Um, yeah. Dan's a good friend and, um, you know, we had him come and present when I was the pastor at Memorial Park Church and, you know, the data of what enables and, um, and if you've read Faith for Exiles with um, David Kinnaman, yes. he gets a book. lot of the same data, you know, what does it take to build a discipleship culture that is going to enable the next generation to really not just survive, but to thrive and to really yeah. uh, live faithfully in what has become, whether you want to call it digital Babylon or uh, whatever it is. I mean, the world has obviously changed. Give our, our listeners just a little taste of one, two, or three things that you think are essential that a church should include in their discipleship culture of a local church. If that church is going to be healthy in reaching next generation people, give them like three things that they've got yeah. to have from your opinion and looking at the data. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think? One of the things that I try to equip parents and churches with is to, to think in small ways of how you're going to set up as best you can a culture of coming alongside parents to equip and encourage them. So there's a sense of, are we looking at the parents that we have and how are we doing at equipping them? And in some ways, you know, you can say, oh, let's just have a bunch of parent seminars and things like that. And those can go a long way just in, in having time that you're setting aside to equip and encourage parents in those kinds of settings. You know, really digging down, and this is hard work and it's a long haul perspective kind of thing. But you have couples that you can tag. Maybe they did a great job of discipling their kids, or maybe they're just a couple that wants to pour into some parents so that they can then pour into their kids better. But having that eye for the parents in your congregation and setting up some discipleship relationships where, you know, a dad can be born into a couple dads, you know, just starting to build those connections while you're also doing some maybe broad equipping uh, of parents through whatever Sunday school classes, parents seminar kind of thing. But you got to have an eye for, for how your parents are doing. There's no doubt about that. Kinneman talks about the power of intergenerational relationships. Is this related to that? Yeah. So I think that there's a sense in which you, you want to be thinking about the intergenerational tying together from you know older parents to younger parents, for sure. But then that also has to do with how you're tying together the next generation, children, your youth, your college age, and you're connecting them to people of all ages in the church. And it's really easy to get stuck. Like when you call people from the congregation and you say, hey, who wants to be a youth volunteer? So many times they're, they're stuck in that place of they're just thinking about a Wednesday night. Like, oh, I got to show up on Wednesday night and I got to do these games. And I got to, oh, and I, that's, there's a retreat I got to go. I can't stay up that late. You know, people, they get locked into things like that. And that's the, the view that they have of what it means to disciple the next generation or pour into them. And so you have to like kind of broaden their view of what it means to say, you know, start having that young person's family into your home. Start inviting them into doing things. Invite the dad and the son into you know, helping you work on something at your house. Just these, these ways in which you're trying to connect with people outside the church building and off the church property, trying to equip God's people to be the church away from the building, you right. know, away from the property. Foundational to that, Andy, seems to be whether it's evangelism or discipleship, it's relational, right? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Because one of the things I noticed, like when I go to speak to parents, at the end of a seminar, there's a Q&A time. And Inevitably, 
you get the kind of questions that really are it's it's a crying out for people wanting to know how to handle the everyday with their kids. So, you know, you get the phone parents. Say, I just had a fight with my kid about the phone for the 50 millionth time. I don't know what to do. What, what should I do? And they're crying out for people to come alongside them to help them in those everyday things. And most churches just don't have that kind of culture set up. So when they show up to a seminar, they're hoping to get these answers for everyday things that like, I'm just a guy who, who shows up. And of course, I want to speak into that and help you. But really, there needs to be people relationally continuing to pursue after those parents, to pursue after those young people in sacrificial and intentional ways. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a church health coordinator, as a missional director, mm-hmm. a church calls you and you're capable of coming in and doing evangelism training. You've got resources for church assessments and things. It'd be really helpful if churches knew that if they wanted to dig down on training for parents to help mm-hmm. frame a discipleship culture for their kids and churches to create discipleship cultures for next gens that focused on the primary point of impact, which is the parents. I don't think we've really, in the EPC, we've really promoted that as a means of church health. Is that something that you're available to do if Presbytery calls you in to do resourcing or if a local church calls you in to do resourcing as a part of church health? Absolutely. I mean, that's what I feel called to do. I love equipping elders in these things uh, for a biblical vision, next-gen discipleship, church leadership, all those kinds of, you know, parent seminars. Families Alive is all about that. So people can go on familiesalive.org and see some of the different things we're doing. So part of my role is kind of like a, an equipping role, coming alongside role to, to sessions, and then also creating resources that can be put in the hands of parents, articles, podcasts, you know, different things like that, that I don't have to show up to be able to speak into different situations, right? You, you create resources to kind of multiply what you're doing. Sure. So any kind of presbytery that's looking to, to grow in these things, and I'm, I've already started to do things in New River and, you know, my connections in Central Carolina and Presbytery, and also coastal, mid-Atlantic, and a little bit in Midwest Presbytery, mm-hmm. just because of old connections there. Right. So, yeah, would love to do that. And I get to wear two hats of church health when I go around, one that's got an eye for next-gen discipleship things and one in the the church health missional director world that I'm also called to. These things are all connected, right? I mean, the, the yeah. next gen council and the leadership there is essential to a church's health and a church's health is not going to be healthy unless it's thinking about things like next gen discipleship cultures. So it's just interesting. You live on that bridge between those two essential worlds and for a congregation or for the EPC as a family of churches going forward, for us to be healthy, we're going to have to be able to bridge those two things, and you stand right in that spot. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I do enjoy it. My heart sings about it all. Yeah. You mentioned Families Alive, but give us a couple of contact things, Andy. If people wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that to be able to access some of these kind of resources? Yeah, so they can definitely contact us through the website, andy at familiesalive.org. Also, my missional director of church health is just ajkesters at gmail.com about those kind of issues. And familiesalive.org is the, the website. Okay, cool. 
Well, the thing I love about your story, Andy, is you came out of a pretty broken family and the Lord came to you in an unexpected way. And then through an interesting course, he has really caused you to really focus in on the health of the family in terms of discipleship. And you and Jody not only have a beautiful family yourselves, but you're supporting other churches to help make sure that those families are healthy and is the primary place where discipleship actually occurs. And uh, that that comes out of your story is all the more poignant and beautiful that God has done that. And so both your story and how you're being used uh, in the kingdom are a great blessing to me and to the EPC. And, and I'm trusting to all those who are listening into our conversation today. Thank you, Dean. It is unbelievable. Yeah. It's the Lord is amazing how he takes what's broken. And, you know, Jody and I are, are just amazed that he put, has put things in our hearts that, you know, we didn't experience when we were growing up and that our kids are, growing up differently yeah, uh, and what a gift to them and just God's grace to them. Yeah, that is a gift indeed. And that is the gospel, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, brother. Well, it's been great having this conversation and getting to know you a little bit better. And I look forward to seeing how the Lord is going to use you not only in the Presbytery of New River, but uh, also just across the EPC. So thank you for giving to the larger church and being a blessing. Yeah, Dean, it's a gift. Thanks, brother. Okay. Well, my friends, this wraps up another time uh, together around the table and uh, talking to good friends and brothers and sisters in Christ about how in which we can work together for the building of the kingdom. And just this nexus today of a healthy church, which is a missional outpost in their community, is going to be that when it has a discipleship culture uh, that is really um, building next generation leaders for Christ. And uh, we're just grateful for that and, and hope that this has been a blessing to you and that you share this out uh, with others. So here is our closing word, the good word from God's word, my friend, and I pray that it will be a blessing to you as you go into your day. Uh, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, for he is the head of the body, the church. And that is a good word that we can all lean into and know that our God is always on the throne. My friends, until the next time in which we meet, grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, We hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.